Hey everyone, welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to increase connectedness amongst Team Fairchild members. Every episode, you'll be hearing from different people around the base discussing topics such as leadership, success, failure, personnel programs, resiliency, and much, much more. We hope you enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the next episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. Uh, today, we're going to sit down with Lieutenant Colonel Dibble and Lieutenant Colonel Ballou. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dibble is currently the Deputy Commander of the Ops Group, and Colonel Ballou is the Chief of Safety. And as I've talked about in previous podcasts, I was trying to get some other hosts in here, and Colonel Dibble is actually on his way off out of this base to another base, and Colonel Ballou had some questions for him, and I thought it would be interesting to really just listen to the two of them go back and forth with the questions and answers. Um, so we'll just go ahead and get it started, sir. So Colonel Ballou, take it away. Thank you so much. Uh, to be honest, uh, I saw a squadron commander in the 384th, and when I walked the halls of the 384th, I would say there ain't no culture like square patch culture. And I think you even see that with the recent AMC commander visit. And you always see former commanders talk about their glory days. So that's a whole story in itself. I've got a question about shower curtains. We can probably table that for the meantime. But ultimately, this is questions from me going into the squadron commander role to a friend, Bryce Dibble, on the other end of squadron commander role. So Bryce, thank you for what you're doing today. And ultimately, my leading question is, how did Bryce Dibble get here today? Cool. Well, I liked your uh, little slogan, um, the uh, square patch col- or the culture and like, no, ain't no culture like the square. I-, I wish I had thought of that, so I failed myself already. Uh, as a commander. Um, so I, I have one question, sir, before you start. Go. Because I've heard you mention square patchers. What what does that mean? So the 384th, oh, this is great. Thank you for asking. I, I, you, you said it a bunch of times during the flight commander course, and I don't know what you mean by square so patcher. The 384th uh, Air Fueling Squadron, uh, if you look at every patch in the Air Force, they're all cylindrical, right? Okay. They're circular. Uh, because that is the approved AMC Air Force heraldry, right? Which is circular. Mm-hmm. However, the, the square patcher is what it implies, right? It is a square patch. Right. And it actually has been uh, unapproved. It is not an approved patch since 1955. <laughs> but uh, General Van Ovost, our, our AMC commander, she, when I found out I had gotten command of the 384, uh, I remember she called and said specifically, if that patch t- turns any other shape than the square, uh, I'm coming after you. Maybe not necessarily in those words, I paraphrase. But uh, there's a culture with the square patch that uh, I've never seen anything quite like it. So when you say square patcher, it is literally because the shape of the patch is square. Actually, I've got a little one there. So is that referring to just your your squadron or, or flying squadron in general? It's the only squadron patch in the Air okay. Force, to my knowledge, that's actually the square. 384th patch. The 384th. Okay, so when you say square patch, you're talking about this squadron here at this base. That checks. Okay, excellent. Yes, sir. So I, I was just curious if that was like cool. a flyer nope. thing or. That is it. That All is right. the reason. Good to know. All right. The question was how I got here. True saving. Uh, so I've been in the Air Force since 1993. I was prior enlisted eight years, and as a high school student, I uh, did not excel. Uh, I had a 1.9 GPA. I. My parents, my father's uh, a Southern Baptist preacher, educated, master's, PhD, and I always felt like there was a pressure as a young man that I have to go to college, and so I did, 
but I didn't get accepted to any real colleges uh, because my GPA was so terrible. And so I ended up going to a private school because private schools, they'll accept you, but they'll also charge you. So I ended up going to a private school for one semester. Uh, I will sum it up as I was immature, I was not ready academically, and I got booted out of college uh, in a nice way. So from there, I didn't know what else to do. So my joining the Air Force has nothing to do with patriotism. It had to do with, I have no idea what I'm gonna do with my life and I need to grow up. And I thought the Air Force might, might help me in that endeavor. So I joined the Air Force in 1993 and uh, I was foolish in that I didn't know what open general meant. So for my enlisted <laughs> folks, they know what I'm talking about. So I went in open general and I became a plumber in the United States Air Force. I had no idea that plumbers even existed in the United States Air Force, but I became one, so I knew, I knew that it obviously existed. Did that for about eight years, uh, and it was some of those lessons that happened during my manual labor and uh, my enlisted years that inspired me to want more, if that makes sense. Um, I guess from there, commissioned in 2002, uh, ROTC, while I was stationed at Charleston Air Force Base, Charleston Southern University, did the ROTC thing which is another thing that I'm super passionate about. I give uh, all of the enlisted folks at Airman Leadership School on base uh, enlisted commissioning program briefings. Been doing that since 1998, I think, 99. And then fast forward UPT, I've flown C5, C17s, and KC-135s. And blessed, blessed, blessed to have been selected for command. And I finished my two years of command uh, this past January, 2021 as the 384th commander. Cool, I hope that answered it. Absolutely. Uh, so Bryce, when did you first realize you wanted to be a squadron commander? So you know, and we've all in this room probably heard this before, you learn it from the good and the bad leaders that you've been a part of. And um, I'll be honest with you, as a young enlisted guy, I saw a ton of really poor leaders at the officer level. And some of my foundational leadership characteristics I got from my senior NCOs and my tech sergeant boss that really inspired me to want more out of just being a plumber in the Air Force. Um, so for me, becoming a commander was just a drive to do better than what I had seen as my poor officer uh, leadership that I was a part of didn't really care for our people, right? And that was something that I wanted to see if I could do better. Plus, if you don't know this about me, which you probably do, uh, I'm super competitive and I want to win everything. And when somebody tells me, no, I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to show them that I can. And in 1993, 94, 95, when I decided that I wanted to become an officer, not knowing that I would be a commander, everybody told me I was never going to be able to make it or do that. Right. Uh, especially a lot of enlisted uh, bosses of mine, not the two leaders that I was telling you about, but a lot of my peers were like, dude, you're an idiot. You, you shouldn't do this. You're never going to get picked up. And so I wanted that was a challenge to me to prove to not only my friends that I cared about, my peers, but to everybody else that supported me that I could I could get there. Hope that answered it. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, so when did you start prepping? to become a squadron commander? I think, I think that we, we are prepping from the day you come in, right? 
Now, I had no idea as an enlisted guy that I would even shoot. When I commissioned, I thought I was going to be happy, go lucky, retired as a captain. I had no idea that I would go this, this far, as far as rank goes. And then command just happened. You know, I performed well enough according to the Air Force standards that we're looking for with respect to leadership. And I obviously was picked up of the uh, Phoenix Eagle list. But for me, I think we learn our leadership styles, that foundation from the beginning. And to me, for me, it was, it was those lessons learned that we talked about with my awesome NCO. Uh, I, do, I, got, I got an LOC my first day in the Air Force for coming in 15 seconds late, right? An LOC, I was freaking out. But it was something that has obviously stayed with me from day one because I hate it when people are late and timeliness is important and it freaking matters. I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste my boss's time, right? So that's why that LOC lesson for me uh, really stands stands out there for me. But uh, to answer your question, I think that we always are preparing to be in a leadership role. I believe that's what the Air Force does, not just for the O's, but for the E's. We're all being put out there to, hey, I need you to step up and go handle this and lead this this project, right? And so I've just been very blessed with the right mentors and some wrong ones, but mostly the right mentors that taught me what it takes to become a leader and and obviously a commander. I hope that answered it. It does, it does. I guess uh, I want to get more specific into prepping for 384th Command, but was there a time where you looked at your wife or at yourself in the mirror and you're like, I think this commander thing's within reach. And I really want this, not because you want it self-servingly, but you're like, yeah, this looks like a pretty cool job. Right. There were a few um, bosses that I worked for. Again, remember I told you, I call it chip on the shoulder leadership, chip on my uh, chip on my shoulder, right? There was a lot of folks that said, Dibs, you're too abrasive. You, uh, you're not going to be a good squadron commander. Um, and, you know, you got to be careful, right? Again, I looked at that as a challenge because... I did a decent job, I think, right? And I feel like at the end of the day, and this is a theme that I'll probably say again, so you might have to edit it. Uh, I, I sat down with every airman in my squadron. We had a one-on-one, sometimes in group settings, sometimes one-on-one, every single one of them. My goal for every one of them was, when you look back at this assignment in the 384th, 20 years from now, you're gonna see what the right culture, the right caring and the right quality of life looks like. And you're going to be like, that is a leadership lesson that I want to use if I'm ever blessed to be a leader or in a leadership position in a squadron. That's what I asked of all of my airmen. Just give me that chance. Let me, let me prove to you that it can be done. And I would say overall, the feedback I received was we did it. We did a good job at that. As far as the preparation, so right before I found out I was going to take command, I was freaking out. I was calling all of my mentors. I was trying to figure out, oh man, I need to do a mission and a vision uh, statement and I gotta do all this and I gotta write papers. No, you don't. There is no book answer on how to be a commander. You just do what feels right to you. And so the best phone call I made, and I, I referenced this colonel in my uh, change of command speech, his name is uh, Matt Anderson, 
and he's in Colorado doing staff, doing some great things. But I called him specifically and I said, boss, I want your advice on commanding and being a good leader. And he goes, no, Dibble, I'm not going to tell you. Figure it out. And so I hung up the phone with him and I was, that's when that epiphany happened, right? Because I was freaking out. I was trying to prepare and do all these documents and make sure I had all these emails ready for my team. And I didn't need to, right? I didn't need to do any of that. You know, we do the standard uh, first commander's call. And I changed. I had had some mentors send me their change of command slides. And there was so much admin stuff on there. And after that phone call with Colonel Anderson, I freaking erased all of them. And I put a bunch of pictures. And I talked to them about what I'm passionate about. And that's taking care of people and leading. And I showed them pictures of my family, right? Uh, and I tried to set the foundation of how our culture was going to change. Not that it was in a bad place, but every commander has their own stamp. Uh, but I wanted to start from day one. And, and I, I, like I said, I think we did that. I think we did a really good job. I'm very proud of what the Square Patchers accomplished in my two years in the, in the seat. I hope I'm not rehashing, nope. ultimately my next question was leading into is, when did you start prepping to be the 384th, the Square Patch Commander? When did you start freaking out? You had all those letters. Did you table those letters? Um, what did that look like as far as timing for you? So I found out that I made the Phoenix Eagle list in, I think it was August of 2017, right? And I was in San Antonio working in the colonel's group at the, the CSB, which is the command selection board for the all the 06s in the Air Force. And uh, a mentor of mine, who was one of my first bosses in the Air Force, is uh, Lieutenant General Tom Sharpie. And he happened to be the AMC vice number two at the time. And he congratulated me on making the list. And then he's the one that really kind of got me thinking that, oh man, I'm way behind. No offense to him. So if he hears this, sorry boss, I'm not talking smack. But as far as finding out and preparing, it was, it was a whirlwind, man, because you're, you're going through everything that you've learned uh, from your duration in the Air Force, right? So for me at that time, uh, I was over 20 years because of my prior enlisted time. But we're just trying to formulate a plan that will work in command. But honestly, what I learned early, about six months into the seat was everything that I had thought or wanted to prepare to do, I threw it out the door and I figured out while being in the seat what the squadron needed, right? Where they were lacking and what they were hurting in. Now, I know that everybody says you should observe in the first 60 to 90 days and not make any changes. Yeah, not my style. So if I saw something that was broken, I made it, I fixed it my way. And I probably ruffled some feathers. I made tons of tons of mistakes, but with respect to the preparation piece, I didn't do a lot of preparation at the very beginning. What I wanted to focus on at the very beginning was getting to know their names. We've all seen leaders that stare at name tags, and I'll be honest with you, I'm dumb as rocks. And so it takes me a while to learn names, but I hate it when my boss is staring at me and I've been at a base for three years and he's staring at my name tag saying, oh, hey, Dibble. No, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to be able to recognize names and families 
and be able to tell a story about every single one of them. And not, not, not anything in depth, but I, I know everything about every single airman that's in the 384. So I don't know if I answered that question, but those were the, those were the preparation pieces that I found out were very important to me mm -hmm. at the very beginning. Uh, thank you. Chronologically, we're getting there. So here you are. What advice would you give yourself on the eve of your change of command or the day of your change of command? The day of my change of command or the eve advice, take a deep breath, right? It was absolutely an honor to be selected for command, but that's a big, it's a big job in that you're ultimately the, the finger that's going, the, the, not the finger, you're going to be the one that's getting the finger pointed at your chest when, when somebody in your squadron makes mistakes because ultimately you're responsible for that. I would say the biggest piece of advice I would give to anybody walking into the seat is, A, learn, learn the people. Like I told you, the names and stories matter. Um, but more so, it's no recognizing what the squadron is missing and filling that hole for them, filling that gap, right? That makes sense. No, that's good. Okay. We talked about, you referenced first 60 days, 90 days. It sounds like you were, you jumped right in. I did. It was a cannonball into the deep end, if, yeah. uh, if I'm hearing you correctly. So first 90 days, or really, it sounds like you hit go. What does that look like? For me, it was, so I, I would say that one of my strengths is admin, A1, and personnel issues. And so immediately I recognized that the 384th was lacking in any and all things administrative, which is surprising to me, right? We've been doing this Air Force thing forever, and yet the continuity or the lack thereof in, in my squadron in particular when I got in the seat was it was painstakingly uh, frustrating for me. So when I say lack of processes and continuity, you've got all your flight commanders, you've got the exec front office, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't know how to get an, a medal done in time before an individual PCS. And so that was one of the things that I saw immediately. I had six or seven medals sitting on the desk from uh, the execs and those individuals had been gone for a year or two in some cases. And I said that day to my exec team, and, and it was overwhelming for them because I'm not, I'm kind of in your face, my leadership is. And we, we I told them that will never, this will never happen again. We, you pin it where you win it, right? We've heard that since day one uh, in 1993 from my command, from my boss that gave me that LOC, right? We pin it where you win it. And so I was very proud of that we fixed that, right? Not one person in the two, 25 months that I was in the seat did not get their medal before they left, which is a big win for me because it matters to the individual. It's not about me and proving that I'm the best administrative uh, commander out there. It's about getting the individual the recognition and thank you they deserve before they walk out the door. Because when it, when it arrived to those individuals two years after the fact, I guarantee you they're looking back at that squadron and saying, typical, I knew that was gonna happen. Does that make sense? It does. it does. So preparation for me was uh, we didn't know how to take care of our airmen in the dorms, right? And so I tried a competition. We tried to incentivize. Uh, hey, having a dorm room competition, 
Stupid little things like that you think are stupid, but they actually freaking matter, right? Recognizing them and saying, hey, keeping your room up to standards. I know living on base can be painful. Been there, done that, and I've lived in the dorms. And in the old days, we had to freaking roommate, which made it even worse. But at the end of the day, uh, our airmen understood that I cared about what their dorm rooms looked like, but I also cared to do the inspections with my superintendent at least once every other month. When my superintendent forgot to invite me, we would have fights because it's, it's important that the commander's there with the superintendent when we're doing those little minuscule things, quotation fingers, uh, such as inspecting dorms. We created something that I'm very proud of, and I've been around the Air Force long enough. I know that this wasn't the, the mind-blowing idea for me. It, I, I had a, a meeting with our senior NCOs, and I said, what can I do to help our single dorm airmen? And he goes, you know, in the old days, I remember we, there used to be baskets, like a basket program. Now, I got a lot of the credit for this, but it had nothing to do with me. So we created dorm baskets. So every airman that went into the dorms, the day that they arrived, the commander, the superintendent, and this basket full of stuff that you think that you and I would take for granted, that you and I also remember, right? When I showed up in my dorm in 1993, I didn't have a towel. I didn't have soap. I didn't have snacks. I didn't have freaking ramen noodles. I didn't have rings for my shower curtain, right? So what... What started out as a simple basket idea from uh, Master Sergeant Carroll, it morphed into this beautiful creation that we got all the credit for. And I love that the squares got the credit for it. But really, we shared that idea with the wing because as basic as it is in concept, it freaking matters. First impressions matter, right? My dad used to tell me that. First impressions matter. And me and my superintendent with our baskets and the sponsor and the new airmen in the dorms they're overwhelmed. They're, they're overjoyed with their name patches are on their bed and they got their basket. And if they need anything else, they know that they can reach out to us, right? That was huge, huge. Out of all the things we did, and we did a lot of great things in my opinion, this is just me, that basket thing was just rock solid in concept. So couldn't have done it without uh, Master Sergeant Carroll. But the reason that it's so successful today is because the squadron bought in and we had a strong spouse program that supported the creation of these baskets. When we would get low, we would normally keep a stock of these 10 baskets. I know I'm going on this tangent about baskets, but it mattered. When the stock would get down to five, I would reach out to Master Sergeant Carroll, whose wife was instrumental in restocking, but they would have five new baskets in the office the next day. It was just, it was an incredible, simple idea that just really mattered for our single airmen. Because I do believe that we have a tendency to forget about how, how difficult it is to be a single airman on your first assignment living in the dorms, right? Mm. And I only, uh, maybe I felt sorry for them because I lived in the dorms too. Uh, and I know how sometimes it can get super depressing. And then you compound that with all this corona crap. I just, I just wanted to make sure that they were being taken care of. So. There's, there's something that you can do as a leader, as a command, not even as a commander, you can just take that from any position um, and just really make an impactful, you know, something that they will remember in the dorms. I can keep going about this stuff, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I really hope you do. Um, well, can, can I just jump in real quick yeah. too? And 
and I, I, I like that a lot. And I, I argue that it's not a little thing, though, sir, because I had a funny experience. Like my first base, my supervisor was not my supervisor. My sponsor was two hours late picking me up from the PAX terminal in England. Just dropped me off my room and said, "See you Monday." And like I didn't know what I was doing. I got there five days before Christmas. Nobody invited me to their house. Like it was very just unwelcoming. So I argue that that's a huge thing for someone coming to their first base to under to like the commander and the superintendent are standing there with your basket. Like yep. that just shows people you really actually care, not just say you care. You're there to show that you care. So. Well, I'm glad you said that about that sponsor, right? That that showed up two hours late because there were instances in my under my watch where my sponsor didn't meet the uh, individual or wasn't coordinating to the level that I wanted, which was you're gonna micromanage this until they walk through this, this, mm -hmm. this squadron doors. And so my, my direction to all my sponsor E's was, or sorry, sponsors, was you will meet them at the front gate and you will take them around wherever they need to go because guess what? They don't know anything, right? right? But it's those little things, right? that first impressions matter. Oh, so this is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. And I'm not doing it, well, I was. I was doing it to prove to them that they're in the best squadron on base, but I wanted to prove it, to show them that this is how it's done so that when they go to Mildenhall and they're in a tech sergeant or a master sergeant bill as a leader in the squadron or as an, a young officer, a captain or a major, this is what I'm supposed to do when my boss says, hey, we got a new inbound, uh, go take care of it, yeah. right? So I wanted to show them the right way versus the wrong way with your sponsor that showed up two hours freaking late. And yeah, it sticks to me to this day. Like he, he was still asleep. Luckily, the, someone from the AFRC was there. They contacted my shirt who called him and woke him up to come pick me up. That was my first impression of my first base. And it was, it was pretty nerve-wracking because I was like, man, they're not even here to pick right. me up in the airport. That's not cool. You know? So I know I'm all over the place, but they no, like that. And I hope I'm not uh, rehashing the same. I want to talk about culture and culture building, but I want to go one more question before we get there, I believe. Okay. Um, back with the guide on. What do you wish you would have known, done, read prior to taking that guide on? The, the one thing that I think that we are doing wrong in our command how do I phrase this without getting fired? Uh, I think that we, so the only thing that matters is knowing your people as a commander. It took me six to seven months of getting to know my people. And it's only a, a 24 month period. That's over a third, well, not quite, but it's almost a third, right? Of time wasted, right? Whereas I think that the fly up concept in a squadron that you're going to be selected to command, and I get it, it's not always going to happen that way. Somebody could get fired and you might be the only guy. you got to go fill it, right? So what I'm getting at here is I think that the best officers, the best commanders are the ones that, that know their people. And so you can't get to know your people in that first six, seven months because you're just trying to figure everything out. Make them a DO in that squadron. Fly them up, right? So I think that what the OSS is doing currently right now at Fairchild with uh, Danetta Harrington being, she's being the, uh, she was the DO for over a year. And I'm not asking for two years as a DO, but I certainly think that there's, she's walking in as the brand new commander this past week, right? Or was it last week? I forget. Last Friday. Last March Friday. March 5th, final answer. Mar Mar March 5th. She knows, she's ahead of her peers with respect to getting to know what the pulse of the squadron is right now without having to figure it out for six to seven months. Now, 
Maybe it didn't take the other commanders that long because they're better and smarter than me, but it took me easily a half a year to figure out everybody's names and what was the priorities. Danetta Harrington, I know she knows it now, and that gives her an advantage on what she needs to do to take care of her squadron, which I think is instrumentally important. That, I think I did answer your question. Absolutely, and we see volume two is going to be Danetta Harrington on this podcast. Yeah, awesome. If, if this podcast ever sees the light of day. Right. All right. We'll see how vulnerable we get here, and we can jump in the deep end or just stick our big toe in the shallow end. Let's do uh, it. Take me back. What was your greatest struggle or failure? In command? In command. Hmm, that's a good question. So, I... I think that I, I think that I took my competition piece a little too far. I was so competitive at everything that I wanted to do. I wanted, and and don't worry, all the group command squadron commanders, they know this about me. I took it too far, I think. And I think I could have been better at helping and collaborating. Instead, I wanted to make my squadron, I wanted to make the 384th grade again, right? I wanted it to be the best squadron on base. I wanted it to be the best squadron in the OG. And although we did share some best practices, I just was focused on just my guys. And I think the best commanders would have been better at collaborating a little bit more with my, my peers uh, and not just in the OG across the base. You know, Like I said, we, we did, the basket thing became a, a thing across the base. Uh, the Gonzaga concessions thing that we originally, I was selfish, it was just for my squadron, but then we realized that it's a big uh, bill to pay to be able to man it, it for all the games. And so we ended up sharing it, and my squadron got all the love for, oh my gosh, I can't believe you, you hooked us up. But in actuality, like me joining the Air Force, not because I was a patriotic warrior, is because I got kicked out of college and I had, I had to figure some life things out. The Gonzaga thing, too. It morphed into, thank you so much for helping the wing, but in actuality, it started out, well, we can't, we can't do it all by ourselves. We should probably ask for help. That makes sense? It does. It so does. for me, that, that was my number one, I feel guilty about to this day. I, I should have been better to my, my OG squadron commanders with respect to the collaborative pieces, right? Uh, we all excel in certain things and are passionate about uh, certain things, but they're all different. Right, I was really passionate about the people and the admin pieces, um, and maybe ex commander was more passionate about ops, 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 uh, and another one was more passionate about something else. But I think that I could have done a better job, and my competition piece probably got in the way of me doing that. So lesson learned for me: if I'm ever afforded that opportunity again to command at an O six level, I will definitely uh, make that a priority for myself. Uh, so what I'm hearing is, given that opportunity again or in a perfect world, leading your squadron commanders, ensuring they play well in the sandbox, sharing their crayons. Um, Absolutely. Okay. You nailed it. Uh, I should have. Uh, I, I wish I had learned uh, more from Don Hildebrand and uh, Cindy Dawson and Kevin Parsons, now Scott Davis, uh, because they are very, very good at the ops centric pieces of being a commander. I would say I was average at best. I could have done a better job there. Absolutely. 
Yeah, Bryce, thank you. I, it's hard to talk about failure anytime, um, especially something you're so passionate about. Uh, this one's a softball. Sweet. What's your greatest success? You can give me up to three. Oh, dude, this is so easy. Like, this is this is a softball. So my greatest successes are my people, right? Uh, I told you it was a weakness, but it was also a strength of mine. So what I learned early on with those continuity issues is that my NCOs didn't know how to write. And how do we get our enlisted people promoted? You got to know how to freaking write. And you got to know what to write. And so I learned from Chief Rucker, Chief Endman, uh, and Senior Master Sergeant freaking uh, Russell, sorry, I blanked on my superintendent. Edit that, make it less of a pause. Um, what an incredible mentor he was for me, Russell. He taught me how to write, because I'm a good writer, I think, for my officers, but it's a different language for our E's. And so something that I am most proud of is I was the number one squadron on the base for my EFTP allocations. We were in the 70 percentile. So what does that mean to you? That means that every board that I went to, EFDP, every single one of them, I always got at least one, maybe two uh, EFDP pushes, the, the extra points on the EPR. That mattered to me. Um, below the zone, senior airman below the zone, I was the number one ARS with selections. Every BTZ board that I gave a name, that we actually gave. And I didn't always give a name, but sometimes when I did, we always got one selected. And that, I would argue, is just as hard as the EFDP. But it's it's how you articulate and how you push your guys. So for me, those are two of the finest um, accomplishments. But the one I'm most proud of is probably Senior Master Sergeant Russell getting the Senior NCO of the Year. So as a commander, I failed him by not being able to get him that stratification, that push on his chief look, right? And I, and I was ashamed. I, I'm not kidding you. I, I was angry. I wanted to go talk to the wing commander, which I didn't, by the way. But these are the things, like you talk about I'm overpassionate and too competitive. When I looked at the base at that time, there was nobody that was outperforming Senior Master Sergeant Russell. And there was no way that he wasn't going to not get a stratification. And I didn't get him one. And I didn't. And so it was, it was painful for me to see that I couldn't get him there. And, and, I, and I pride myself on being able to, to get my people whatever they can get. But at the end of the day, I learned a ton about what I could have done better that previous year to set him up for success for next year. So, uh, and we've done that. And so one of those stepping stones, talking about writing, he just won the senior NCO of the year. That, for the win, that matters. And when a board of chiefs look at that package next year, that denominator of all of the senior NCOs on a base, he's the number one guy, right? That, so I think we're in the right direction. Uh, I tell you, I was furious with myself though when, when I didn't make that happen. What else am I proud of? So I told lessons, right? So one of the biggest regrets is I did not know, you've heard about know what your boss's bosses, um, uh, what their emphasis items, their, their, 
They're, what's, what's on their mind? What keeps them up at night? I, I disagree with that, and I know that I'm probably against the grain. Uh, as a squadron commander, I don't have time to know what my boss's boss's priorities are, so I just focused on my boss. And, I, and it took me too long. I told you, that's six to seven months where I'm flailing, trying to figure out names and what do I need to focus on in the squadron. What I should have done at the very beginning, and I'm going to get to the why I'm proud of this, um, is I didn't know what my group commanders, what he cared about, right? So for me, what I cared about at the beginning was the people and quality of life and making sure that we transform the squadron into the best squadron on base. Facility, right? I'm a competitive. I want to win that too. So I focused on that stuff. What I came to find out about seven to eight months later is our boss wanted ops to be our number one priority, right? Something that I wasn't necessarily very strong at, but I then turned it around. And I went from being the worst squadron with respect to mission ready. We, when I walked into the door as a squadron commander, we had 30 officers and enlisted that were on the NMR, which is unheard of in the communities that I used to fly with. If there was a name on a NMR list in the old days, in the C-17 and the C-5, uh, that, that individual was probably, probably had their leg amputated, right? So NMR just didn't exist. So when I walked in, I don't think our focus and our, our emphasis was on mission readiness, right? And so once I realized that my group commander wanted that, I made it a competition. And I looked at the 93rd ARS under uh, Kevin Parsons, and he had 95% mission ready rate almost every quarter. He knew what he was doing. And so I reached out to him. I said, whatever you're doing, I'm going to copy it, and then I'm going to beat you, is what I told him. And he was good with that. And so we did that, man. And I was super proud of turning something that I wasn't very strong, right, at because everybody doesn't enjoy going outside of their comfort zone. I wasn't comfortable with that. I've never been a DO or an operations officer in the 135. However, I would argue, you put me in the C-17 community, that's the plane that I kind of more or less grew up in. I could do that stuff right now, but I just never uh, got the mentorship as a as a, an ops guy in the 135, so I was weak in that area, and I know I was. But at the end, right, before that group commander's change of command, uh, we were 99% mission ready. We had nobody on the uh, NMR list, not one name, except for the attached. They don't count. They go work for uh, the bosses, but I was very proud of that, and we were the number one ops squadron, and under Dibble's watch, that was a big, big piece for me because... I knew it was a weakness for me. And I'll probably think of something else I'm super proud of, but those are the first few off the top of my head. Really, it's the accomplishments of my airmen. Uh, Casey Borboom at the annual um, award ceremony uh, won the Spirit of Hope Award for AMC. Boom. I'm so proud of that young woman because she's got her head on her shoulders. She's 19. At 19, man, I was an idiot. I know I was. Um, who else am I proud of? I mean, there's so many. Oh, uh, Major John Rowe. He just got hired to be uh, the president's millaid. Um, he called me on a whim. He goes, I, I wonder if I got a chance. I was like, let's try. You know, let's at least put our foot through the door. All they can do is tell you no. But being able to write and articulate, I think, is that important stepping stone to getting them through the door and impressing whoever that board was. And then he got hired, man. I mean... It just, I couldn't be more proud. That, that young man will be a future 
uh, leader in our Air Force, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud to have been a part of that. And I think all of the bosses that signed their his OPRs are like, yeah, sign the next, you know, four star. Yeah, I'm not saying he's gonna, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just those little. It's not about me. It's about the people, right? Uh, I enjoyed proud. I enjoyed watching the wing commander and the vice wing commander or DVs that came into my building and they were wowed by our facility. Because when I got there, it was beat up, it was worn out, and it was ghetto. I hated it. And so I sat down with my wife and I said, we're going to paint the entire squadron and we're going to make it the nicest facility. We're going to we're going to upgrade our, our bar, our uh, common area. And I would argue uh, we did it, right? We have probably the best facility on base. And I know that because the wing commander hosts all of his big level wing meetings in our auditorium in the 384th. And I say R in Gorzilius' auditorium. That matters to me because they know when they walk in, they're like, holy mackerel. This squadron knows how to take care. But why do I why did I care about the facility? Because I am such a hammer on work ethic and making sure that we do everything the best that we can do. I wanted to have the best facility and I wanted our airmen to walk to the door and say, hey, I love this facility. I have pride in this facility, so that they're not walking past a piece of trash on the floor. They're picking it up and they're taking care of the building that they work in every day. So I can go on for days, brother. This is true. Now, this may be a trap. Shoot. I'm not trying to so set it's not a trap. A softball? I, I'm warning you. I, I'm prepping you. Admiral Akbar style here. Um, playing the long game. You talk, You alluded to change of command. Leading your boss. Uh, you had, if I, if I understand it correctly, an operations group change of command as well as a wing change of command during your tenure. What did that look like? Uh, did you adapt to your boss's style? Did you, what changed when that changed? Hmm. Good question. So I would say at, a, at the squadron commander level, the wing commander piece, we didn't see much of that. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I just didn't. Uh, we had, I love that both wing commanders that I had here, Colonel Salme and Colonel Bentley, they still continue the, the lunches with the, the leadership teams, whether that's commanders or soups or whatever. I love that part because it does give you an opportunity to voice your concerns or brag about your squadron uh, with the boss, right? However, my intermediate boss, the middle boss, is the OG, and I'll be honest with you, that's the individual that we obviously engaged more often. And so the transition for me was I learned, finally learned, about the ops-centric piece of my prep. But I would argue that any ops group commander is only going to care about uh, ops. But under the new boss, I can see that transition of it's not only ops, not saying that my predecessor didn't either, because I'm not trying to say that he didn't care about the, the pieces that I cared about. But I can tell that my new boss cares a little bit more about some of the things that are priorities for me, right? That, that quality of life piece, too, in addition to ops, ops, ops. But for me, the transition, unless the boss told me I was doing something wrong, I just chugged and did what I was did what I wanted to do. I do think that squadron commanders should be kind of left alone unless they're screwing up, right? And what I mean by that is tons of direction coming top down sometimes, uh, trying to 
tell us what we should or shouldn't be doing. And I do believe that unless I'm screwing it up, I don't want that vector. Make sense? It does. Okay. It does. I hope that answered it. I'm all over the place on that one. Well, a follow up to that. If Bryce Dibble is given the opportunity to become a operations group commander, how are you leading your squad commanders? So I think that both of my group commanders were polar opposite with their leadership style, but they do the same thing with respect to taking care of the commanders, which is that. That's all you got to do. I think that my job as the group commander is let those squadron commanders do their thing. Don't micromanage them. And I, and I was not micromanaged. Uh, but at the end of the day, just don't get in their chili. Let them take care of their squadrons the way they want to and provide a vector when you see something that's troubling or you want to fix, right? But don't do it for them, right? Don't do their job for them. And then really help them. Hey, what do you need my help with as the group commander to make your command successful or more successful? Can I take something off of your plate because you're uh, we're dealing with like a uh, Cindy Dawson, dealing with a freaking squadron deployment right now. What can I do to help you as the group commander to make your job easier? And I think that's really the role. And then obviously as the group commander, I've got to do what my boss needs me to do, right? Focus sure. on whatever his priorities are or her priorities, sorry. No, it's really good. But to be honest with you, this I feel is about my $64,000 question and why I wouldn't have the conversation with you here today. Cool. Uh, but all about culture making. And we've, we've alluded to it a lot throughout this conversation in what I've seen from the square patchers Sorry. when it comes to Gonzaga concession stands, being recognized within the community, seeing a boom off of your truck delivering Halloween candy, having square patchers that are no longer square patchers showing up to your bar on a Friday Shower curtains. Talk to me about that. Mm. So the culture and the pride in the facility were some of my focal points uh, from the get-go. I knew what I envisioned would be the, the squadron that I wanted, something that they would be. What I love is camaraderie. And what I envisioned at the beginning was having an incredible, caring squadron that airmen look to each other and know that we've got each other's back. And it's not ultra-competitive in the sense that there's a lot of stabbing in the back. Is it completely gone? Probably not. But at the end of the day, I wanted to I wanted to refurbish our bar so that on Fridays we could hang out together, play pool, and just be amongst each, just talk, right, and have fun. Really, that's what it was. And um, the culture is huge, right? And so you talk about I'm in your face. I'm competitive. I put shower curtains in the bay in, in the downstairs OSS. Um, facility in the restroom because I wanted I wanted folks that were using that to know that we were present, but also I wanted to upgrade the stuff. I, I felt like we needed to clean up uh, certain areas of our building uh, and not that the uh, OSS first floor bathroom wasn't a bad thing, but they didn't have shower curtains. So I was like, okay, you don't want to put up shower curtains, I will. And then I took a picture of it and I sent it to the OSS commander and said, hey man, thanks for the showers, right? Just to rub it in their face. But it's the culture piece, right? And I love that. I loved reaching out to all the, the Square Patcher alum, right? And some, some of the most rewarding conversations I had as the commander was just them emailing me and say, wow, 
Since you left McConnell, we thought you were going to fall on your face. But man, you guys are doing it right. You're making the Square Patcher alum very proud. Uh, and I wanted to reinvigorate that connection with the current uh, squares with the alum, right? And I was so pissed about freaking uh, COVID because we were going to have what I, what I called my capstone was going to be the, uh, we do a biennial reunion. Every other year they do a biennial reunion in the Square Patch Squad, and they've been doing it since the 70s. Boy, we, I put a team together. We had golf. We had a uh, grade A facility. I mean, uh, we were going to do it out at uh, Feltz Field in the hangar. We had uh, an old uh, jazz band that was going to, I mean, it, we were going all out. This is, this is what I was very passionate about. And then we had to cancel it. And it was just, it stunk because all the alum were coming. Right, we had a ton of folks that were going to come because I wanted my current squares to meet their predecessors, the ones that set the foundation for the excellence that we call Square Patch. Right, so I missed that. I missed that. But so Corzilius is going to get to to host a reunion because I know that we're turning the corner with COVID. But um, it's it was the bar. I I focused really heavily on uh, transforming that that uh, common room slash bar, right? Uh, common air crew bar. But if you come into our squadron, it is by far the best bar on base, uh, but it's also a place for us to sit down and socialize, eat lunch, uh, and just be together, right? That to me was ultra important, but it wasn't just the facility that mattered. I remember in 1996, uh, as a plumber, on Christmas Day, I was pulled to a, uh, a standby call. We had an emergency on base. For plumbers, an emergency is defined as a water main leak or a break. Uh, and, and it turns out that's what it was. It was a, a main break in housing uh, on Christmas Day. And so I got a standby call. I'm coming in. It's freezing outside. Believe it or not, Charleston gets cold. And half the base is out of water. And so people get crabby. So I was furious. I was like, it's Christmas day. I'm working my tail off. We were out there for probably 10 hours, but something that resonated with me was on Christmas day, my squadron commander, my wing commander, my group commander. And as a young enlisted guy, those guys being present scared the shit out of me. Um, and then my supervisor, they all showed up standing around the ditch with a cup of coffee, and they just said, thank you, right? Those, that simple action is something that, uh, as I stated before, has resonated me with me because it was the small thing of just being present that I promised myself I would do as a commander, right? And so, again, it's not about facility. It's about the small things that matter. So I created that stupid square flyer. Now, it was a lot of work, and I asked nobody really to give me as much input as that. I tried to take it off the hands, but I did annoy my superintendent and my senior, senior NCOs because I needed bullets. But I created a flyer that I put up once a month and it just recognized the awesomeness that the squares were doing. It was easy because they did it a lot, but I did a square flyer, man. It was a pain in the butt for me, but I'll tell you, that was uh, some of the, the highest accolades from my airmen in the squadron. They're the only ones that I care about. They love that flyer. And I, I see that Corzilius has morphed it into what he is focusing on in the commander, but he's still doing it because it matters. 
And so we put those signs, those little flyers everywhere. They're in the bathrooms for the guys. They're in the women's bathroom. They're uh, on the walls in the heritage room. They're on, in between desks and offices, but uh, they were everywhere. Those, that, that mattered to me. Um, our key spouse program. Um, wow. So getting the buy-in from our spouses, knowing that we cared, um, and they knew that we cared about them as well, uh, it, all of our successes had to do with our spouse program. So they just, they took care of us whenever we needed it, right? Obviously I told you about those baskets, but um, any function that we wanted to fundraise, they always offered to, to run that. They just, they just bought in and knew that the sincerity that we preached was not propaganda, it was genuine. And that, that really, really is some of the biggest successes we had were uh, everything that I just listed. But that, that is a part of the culture, in my opinion. And that is a part of the propaganda, right, that we, we put out there. But it wasn't propaganda. I told the, the folks in those one-on-one sessions that I want them to remember this assignment and that know that no matter what happens, good or bad, we, we as the squares, you, me as your commander, will always have your back. Um, and so our culture got so good. I will tell you, as a commander, um, everybody thought that our culture and our morale and quality of life was so good that I was a uh, Santa Claus. Um, and I don't know why I cared, because of competition, right? But it bothered me that everybody thought I was just a Santa Claus, because what they didn't know is <laughs> I was kind of a hammer to my front office team, right? Because I, I, I expected excellence all the time. And so, and I didn't follow some of the lessons that I learned as a young airman crushing them in public, or excuse me, private. Uh, I, had, uh, I, had, I had failures, there were instances where I went off. I was like, what were you thinking? How do we miss suspenses? What were we doing with this, this flight, with the mission red? Why is this guy Denif? Or, you know, go, no, go stuff. I, I definitely lost my cool on a, on, a, on a few occasions, lots of occasions, um, but at the end of the day, uh, huge success. I was very proud of it. Hope that answered it. I was all over the place there. No, it's good. Nothing that's that can be edited. Uh, I'm actually going to downshift, Go. and I'm switching gears a little bit. Um, but I'm, I think a lot of people are interested. I could just say me, myself, and I. Work-life balance, commander and self-care. Is it a sprint? Is it a marathon? Dude, okay. At the beginning of my command, I was awesome. I was working out at least three times a week, and then... I was flying at least once a week, whether that's a sim or a, uh, a flight, right? And then you let the job, because we're all type A personalities, we just let it take you over. So I got chubby, COVID didn't happen, right? I got out of shape and that bothers me because I pride myself on leading by example, right? I've, I've never gotten a, a, a non, I've never not gotten an excellent on a PT test because I only want to take it once a year, right? And that's the example I want to lead. Boy, I got so chubs uh, and out of shape because I let the job absolutely dictate. I would stay until 7, 7.30, 8 p.m. And then I'd get home and I was exhausted. I didn't spend any time with my girls and I, and I ate dinner and I go straight to bed, which I think that's the number one thing you shouldn't do as a, a fatty McFatty. You shouldn't eat at 8 p.m. and then go to bed. So I'm pretty sure I was breaking all the rules. 
But towards the end, I got back to some of the basics, which were, I got to take care of myself, right? Uh, you got to work out. You got to stay fit. Um, and at the end of the day, we've all heard this, right? This isn't rocket science. The work can wait till tomorrow, right? It can. It can wait. Uh, and heck, if you're that hardcore, go home and then come back. Maybe do that. I never did that because I lived off base. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I let work kind of dictate me. And hindsight's 2020 now, right? Monday morning quarterback. I should have stuck to what I was doing at the beginning. Uh, I got into some bad practice. So I already, as the deputy group commander, which is a, you know, a holding pattern, no job, no real responsibility. But I've seen the commanders that I worked with, they do that stuff. They're smart about it. And they, they practice that, that, that work-life balance, right? And they're leaving at normal hours. When I walk by and I see uh, maybe, well, because I live in the same building, Colonel Corzilius, he's out at 4.30. I'm like, holy mackerel, well done. And we say 4.30, wow, that's, that's right around the right time. Dude, when you're staying until 8, 9 p.m., that's just dumb. I should have just walked away and let the, the work, I could have gotten it the next day. So, But you talked about Deputy OG, holding pattern, no real job. Yet here you are walking into the same building after turning the guide on over to Zilla. Zilla, how I don't know how that is with you. Do you bite your lip when people come up to you? What's that like? Advice to Zilla, passing the baton, wherever you want to take that. Dude, one of the hardest things ever, right? Because I, I genuinely, when Candy and I took command of the 384th, I have uh, four daughters. And so what Candy and I said was, we are a family of four plus 150, right? Because I love every single one of those square patches like they're my own kid. And a lot of them are like kids. But at the end of the day, uh, when I turned over that, that guide on to freaking Zilla, it's, it's hard, right? Because I want to go into the square patch uh, common room and bar and, and socialize and be with my squares. But there's a fine line. And I, I think any commander knows this. So it's not rocket science again. But um, staying away is hard but it's, it's necessary, right? So General Van Ovost's visit was supposed to be with me. Before Corona came, right, she was coming to me and I was gonna show her all the hard work that we had accomplished as I was the commander, but because of Corona, it got delayed and now, now uh, Colonel Corzilius is the commander. And I'll tell you, um, she, she came in from the side of the building, went over to that rock and I was like, yes, the rock. And then she came into the building and Zilla offered for me to be with him during the walking tour. He, he had offered to let me meet her outside out front with him. And the hardest thing I've had to do was say, no, this is yours, buddy. Uh, and you've got it. And, and I appreciate the humility uh, and the kindness out of his heart. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't the right thing to do. So that part has been Difficult because of my leadership style. I love just being around my my square patchers uh, And it's hard to be like cut the umbilical cord. It's tough. It's tough. I hate it And that's why whenever I see Zillow, I try to avoid him. I don't want to look at him anymore. It just makes me mad <laughs> I'm he, sure. hey, He's lucky. He's he's in the best job in the Air Force man And he's in the best squadron in the Air Force. I would argue as well. 
Well, I'm sure for Zilla, maybe I shouldn't put words in his mouth, but I'm sure the feeling is mutual. <laughs> and he is looking forward to your PCS as much. Yeah, I know, so, right? Yeah. You got to get rid of me. All right. Well, uh, we'll make this one the change up. Okay. What would you do differently? Well, I think I kind of hit some of those pieces, right? I think that, I guess, like I said, I wish I was the DO and I wish I would have gotten to know the people. That's one thing I would change. Um, I think I could have been more collaborative with the other squadron commanders, been better at it. I wasn't completely like uh, the Grinch, but I do think that my competitive nature got in the way of opportunities to, for them to help me, which is probably the, the more likely scenario, and, and vice versa, right, where I could have helped them. I think that knowing my boss's uh, priorities earlier would have been a huge, huge thing for me, right? Because, again, I focused on people and culture and quality of life, which aren't bad things. But I should have focused, I should have incorporated more of my efforts at the beginning into what he cared about versus what I wanted to do, right? And that's really what it boiled down to is it's what I wanted to do and that's what I was going to do, right? I wish, yeah, like there were opportunities, there was, there was instances where um, I destroyed people for making a mistake that in hindsight really wasn't that big a deal, right? And I didn't do it in, in private like I probably should have. There were instances even when I did it in private where I just destroyed people and it probably could have, it probably wasn't as big a deal, but I get, that's me, that's me, that's my personality. I get fired up when stupid mistakes are happening or uh, they should know better, but at the end of the day, maybe, maybe they didn't. We got to remember too, people are walking into this, this air force from all different uh, walks of life. We've got, we've got airmen from certain parts of the country that have never seen uh, an African-American person, right? Never in their lives. Uh, and there's people on the other end of that spectrum that uh, have never driven a car, don't have a driver's license. And so when they make stupid mistakes, we've got to be compassionate and we got to teach. And that's the problem that I sucked at at the very beginning. I, I was like, what do you mean he doesn't have a driver's license? Go get a damn driver's license, you rookie. Or something like that, right? So I could have done a better job, definitely. Uh, there and my relationship with um, some of my 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 bosses, uh, I should have been better at that too, right? Uh, once I got into my mode and I I got cocky and said I don't need their help, I don't need their help. Uh, and in actuality, I could have learned a lot and been uh, maybe even a, a better commander had I just taken the time to take the, those mentorship opportunities more seriously. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Cool. So if you were to put a cherry on top to conclude this conversation, any final remarks? I love this stuff. I think that, um, you know, one of the reasons that I give that, that uh, commissioning briefing to uh, all Airman Leadership School classes here at Fairchild and, and my other bases is uh, because I care about and I'm invested in making our Air Force, I know this is going to sound totally cheesy and cliche, I just want us to have the best quality airmen in our air force, right? We do a we do a crappy job of, in general, my observations. This is all my opinion and not reflective of the air force's opinions. But I, we just we got into a phase in the air force where we were just putting people in jobs just to fill a hole. And I truly believe, with respect to making our air force so great, you got to put the right person in the right job, right? So I'm, I'm passionate about A1 stuff, 
and assignments and taking care of people and recognizing that you can't make everybody happy, but at the end of the day, you could certainly try. And I think that we get in a, we get into the, I don't know, we get into this situation where you, you put the, you put the wrong commander in the seat. You, you're probably going to lose 20 to 30 airmen because they're like, holy mackerel, that guy was terrible. Why am I in the Air Force? We got to get out. And it's not, it's not a, a recruiting video that I'm trying to do, but our job as commanders is to take care of our airmen, make them love their job, because let's be honest, not all jobs in the Air Force are created equal. There are some that's, that are so far away from the fight, they're like, what's my worth, right? And so, great leadership quote. Uh, I was in uh, ACSC, no, SOS. It's, uh, and I put the quote on the back of the, the auditorium. It's not your proximity to the fight that proves your worth. And I love that quote, and I can't even remember the guy. It was some one or, one or two star that said it. But when I was a squadron, when I was, when I was a, an enlisted plumber, I'll tell you, I said to myself on a daily basis, I am plunging toilets, I'm playing with poo, and I'm working on water main breaks. What, what the heck? What worth am I to the Air Force? And I would argue that everybody's role in the Air Force, although not necessarily on the same pedestal in, in everyone's eyes or perception, they're critically important to why we are the best Air Force in the world. And so I go over to the, the CE squadron, I did it a couple times, and I made sure that I coined as the OG bagware, right? Because let's be honest, that perception, everybody's like, oh, they're the bad guys, they're the Gucci's, right? But the small things like coining, dude, I gave away more of my coins to the FSS, to the CES squadron, to the MSG, gosh, the FSS front office, they got so many of my coins. Um, but thanking them for the small things, can you imagine being in the force management section in the FSS, handling all of the assignments for everyone on the space? And the frustration that I'm going through right now is I'm PCSing out the door, and I just, I get frustrated with them on the phone. They have to deal with that with every single person on base. And I guarantee you, there's a lot of nasty customers out there, and they gotta keep their professionalism every day. And so I would argue that every job matters and then killing them with kindness just freaking matters because I have lost my stuff with FSS before because something didn't happen correctly and I've gone over with my tail between my legs and I've apologized because they, they deserve better than that. We have to kill them with kindness. And that's something that I preach to my squares every day. I was like, don't lose your cool, kill them with kindness. And if you have a problem, then elevate it to your boss or me, and we'll take it from there. So anyway, I'm passionate about taking care of people, and I think that that's, that's one easy kill for us to make us even better, right? When the squadron, when the group, the wing, when everybody's bought in, this is the best part. I'm literally a figurehead, right? So if my airmen know that I care about them, that I care about their quality of life, and I care about their families, whether they're single or, or married, family is family, period. When they know that we are invested and vested in them, the rest take care of itself. 
our squadron was the best at a lot of things because I could literally die right then and then now. And I knew that the second I walked out, the squadron was self-sustaining and they were empowered to do their job and to do it because I yelled at them a lot, but to do it uh, the best that they could. I wanted them to be the best, right? So literally as a squadron commander, you do it right. You're a figurehead. They don't need you there. You're just the cheerleader on the sidelines. Boom. That's it. Make sense? Makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, man. Thank you. I, I could go on for another hour. I could, too. We can do it again. But <laughs> I love it, man. Just I learned from some really phenomenal folks. Uh, and it's not hard. It, it isn't hard. Leading, leading is not hard. Commanding is not hard. But I'd say everybody leads, right? Sorry, I went into a tangent. But that's what I told everybody in my one-on-ones, too. I don't care what freaking rank you are, you're a leader. Yeah. And you will lead in this squadron. And if you're not comfortable with it, we're going to get you some practice. Because before you get out of the Air Force, whether that's four years, six years, 10-year active duty service commitment, or 20, and you retire, you will you will know how to lead after leaving the squadron. Because it's important. That's what we do. One the, Really, the only question I did not ask you that I had written down here was, how do you let your peacocks fly? How do you let them go... Knowing it may hurt, but then you got that Bill Belichick next man up. Yeah. Do you have that? Do you grow that? How do you grow that? In so one thing that I saw in throughout my entire career is squadron commanders that I worked for, officer and enlisted side for me, they wanted to hoard the talent because they knew that they were making their squadron incredible, right? It's hard. But I also know in my experiences, and I've been doing this for 27 years, um, that... If you don't let them blossom uh, in the positions that matter, right? And let's be honest, if you don't have a job outside of the wing in the operational realm, uh, you're, you're hindering possibly a, prog- a progression in their, in their career. Um, and same thing kind of for the senior NCOs, right? But at the end of the day, uh, for me, uh, I was really... <laughs> the only way I'm going to say that I was good at it is because Colonel Bentley mentioned it uh, at one of... Uh, my going away speech, his speech. He's like, ah, there is nobody in the room that advocates uh, for their people better than, than I did because I was in their face constantly and I was annoying. And I'm sure that they would say, all right, thanks, Dips. And then they'd walk away and be like, gosh, he's relentless. But I believe that that's the attitude as a leader that we have to get to get your way. Not, But I was also relentless in pushing on those job opportunities because I knew A, it was going to be good for their career and B, make them a better officer and better uh, enlisted um, but it also uh, was the next man up concept, right? And there were times where I sent out my best guy and their replacement, he or she, wasn't there. And we had to, but at the squadron level, we teach. That's where I think that we teach. You got to teach them in yeah. the squadron level. Because when they go to a group or a wing job, they can't make the mistakes they can do in the squadron. So lots of yelling, kind yelling, a lot of barking, <laughs> but lots of teaching, right? And I believe that that professional development pieces are so critical in the successes. But that's what I loved about our guys and gals. They were empowered enough to do their job, and I trusted them. And I I had them stop asking me questions on a daily basis, and I just let them do their job. And I said, you're here for a reason. Do your job. I trust you. So, and and it worked out really nice towards the end. Although I felt like I was delegating everything. I wasn't really doing anything. I just sat there and waited for folks to come in and talk to me. Mm-hmm. 
That's it. Alright. Cool. Yes, sir. Do you have anything else, uh, Colonel Blue? So Baloo is for the podcast. So Baloo is uh, sitting chief of safety here at Fairchild, and he's heading down to Maxwell to be the SOS commander. Uh, there are challenges in every command. That one's going to be uh, unique. Uh, that one's going to be unique because you've got uh, a constant flux of uh, students coming in, right? For SOS, which isn't a full year like ACSC. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have those challenges, man. Uh, let me know. Good luck. I know you're going to knock it out of the park, though. Um, and I'm confident in, uh, in, in the Air Force's decision, AMC's decision, to send you down there. Uh, but command is command. And it's, it doesn't matter if it's an operational squadron or if it's an AETC. Uh, command is command. So uh, this is a huge accomplishment. I'm proud of you. Uh, good luck. Keep in touch because I want to know how, how it's going. Deal. No, thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing about how Italy is. Oh, don't watch, watch the 30 pounds. <laughs> oh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. I'm going to be, a, next time you see me, I'm going to be ginormous. So. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Bryce, seriously, thank you. And if this helps anyone else, uh, it's helped me. Awesome. Thank you, Sergeant Barrett, for helping us make this happen. I want to say thank you, sir, because you are probably the most active commander on base, aside from Colonel Hildebrand. She's also very She's good. She's always by yeah, my side, but, right? But the two of you together, and, and you, you know, um, you're always volunteering to help out with professional development, whether it's panels or teach classes. Um, and you're, you're always just, you're very motivating when you talk to the students, and you can tell that when you say, I care and I want to develop people, that you're not just saying that, like you really mean it. So I appreciate that awesome. on behalf of the Career Advisor Office for all of the development that you've done throughout the base here. Um, and especially those commissioning briefs because people really like to hear that story right. of coming from being a plumber in the Air Force to right. commanding a flying squadron. That's a pretty awesome, awesome. story. So uh, thank you from me and from the other airmen that, that you've touched on based on. Well, hey, I can. Uh, I want to brag about you too. Uh, I've not, and I've, been, and I've been doing this for 27 years, I've not seen uh, someone as passionate and uh, caring about their job than you. When, when I... When you're doing these professional development panels that we are lacking and we need more of, uh, you take it by the horns and you knocked it out of the park. The two or three that I got to do with you and the one I'm doing with you next week, with you now too, um, I can tell you that it freaking matters. And so uh, continue in, in his filling those shoes. Uh, and they are big, big shoes to fill. But I'll tell you, uh, our airmen need this. The, the NCO development, the soup development, Frontline supervisor training, oh my gosh, if I didn't have that uh, so established and so strong in the three to fourth, we would have fallen on our face. Because really, the backbone of the Air Force is our enlisted corps, right? And so this stuff that you all are doing, uh, holy mackerel, it is so important. So please, please, please uh, keep keep taking care of us. Uh, and I'll try not to wing it uh, on the next <laughs> one like I did this that last time. But at the end of the day, that stuff is so, so important to our our successes. It really is. Teaching them the right way is the right is, is the way we can uh, make ourselves even better. So thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Cool. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Well, until next time. Well, that's it for this episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. If you have show ideas, people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, email us at FAFBCAA at gmail.com.